Thank you. Hey, and, and can we officially say Merry Christmas now? Can we unite the, the pre-Thanksgivingers and the post-Thanksgivingers all in one Merry Christmas to each other? If you're online, just say Merry Christmas to your TV this morning. We'll feel it in spirit and, and those in traditions. Glad you're with us as well. Well, hey, I do want to say as we're kind of finishing up our offering time and, and uh, maybe your phones are out because you're doing that, which is awesome. I just want to say thank you to our church family for being so generous on our Thanksgiving offering to be able to equip some of our partners like Priority One and Convoy of Hope to really meet some major needs around the world. I'll give you an update on that offering next week, um, but I uh, just want to say thank you for your generosity. And as we're kind of coming off of one holiday and looking towards another, I want to challenge you this Christmas to make sure that your celebration is centered around the worship of Jesus. You know, Jesus loves to watch us celebrate what he did in history, but the most, the most important thing is that we celebrate it with him. And so we are really going all in on Christmas Eve services this year. You might have noticed, you probably didn't, because only pastors really think about these things, that Christmas is on a Sunday. And so we want you to spend your, your Christmas day celebrating with family, friends, worshiping Jesus on your own, that kind of thing. But we would love for you to be here Christmas Eve to worship Jesus, to celebrate Jesus as a church family. But we're expecting quite a few people. So we um, would love your help in registering. If you know which service you're going to come to, we are, um, we're making sure that we have enough room for everybody. And so we'd love for you to register. You can do that even right now while your phones are out. You can, you can uh, get that QR code and just pick a service and show how many people you think you're going to bring. And you can always switch it later. So if you're like me and you're like, until I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm not committing. Just commit and figure it out later, right? Because we need to know where we need to shift numbers and all that kind of thing. And then the second thing I would say is beyond centering your celebration around the worship of Jesus, would you look for an opportunity to invite someone in your circle of influence to come to know Jesus? Christmas Eve is a wonderful time. It's kind of like Easter. People are kind of looking a little deeper that time of year. People are a little more open to God that time of year. They're hearing things about Jesus at this time of year. And so I would encourage you to take advantage of that and let's see some people come to know Jesus this Christmas season. I believe it's gonna be a time where God's presence meets us. We're also gonna have a bunch of fun stuff going on on campus uh, before and after those services. So you'll wanna be here. It'll be a great time for the family. But please do register, sign up, because if we need to add more services, we wanna know that uh, before Christmas Eve. And um, so help us out with that. It'll be a good time. And I honestly love the season of Christmas to just think about what Jesus has done for us. I hope that you did that this morning as we were worshiping. I was so refreshed by worshiping with you this morning. And, um, and as we go through the season of Christmas, make it about worship. Make it about worship. Make it about giving glory to Jesus. And we'll talk about one of those pieces this morning. But one of my favorite things about the Christmas Eve service, not everyone on our, on our staff loves this part of the Christmas Eve service, but it's one of the places that I just kind of like drop the lead pastor hammer and say, we're doing this. And that is the candle lighting. Does anybody like a candle lighting, a good candle lighting on Christmas Eve? Thank you. I mean, even as a father of young children, wondering which of my children is gonna burn themselves, their sibling, or the church down, you know, I still love that part of, uh, that part of Christmas. And, and why is that? Because I think it's the same reason that I love seeing Christmas lights on people's houses. Because when you look out your office window at four o'clock in the afternoon and it's already pitch black outside, 
and, and the only thing you can see a little bit is the glints of rain coming sideways, uh, you need a little something to remind you that there is joy still in the world, right? And so, you know, I love Christmas lights, and actually, historically, this isn't just, a, this isn't just like an American in the last 30 years when we've had Christmas lights thing. Historically, the church has always lit candles around Christmas. They've always lit candles as a reminder of the power of even a small light in the midst of darkness, and Christmas time is a great time to remember how powerful a little bit of light can go in, in a lot of darkness, right? It changes the whole atmosphere of a space when a little bit of light comes into darkness. So we're going to light some candles on Christmas Eve, but more importantly, we're going to talk over this next month about how Jesus actually is a light to some of the darkness that is in us, that is around us. And, um, and so in the midst of Christmas, when a lot of us get to celebrate, right? And I hope that some of you, you know, I know there are some in our church that had just an amazing Thanksgiving, so much food that they are still, well, Pastor Harrison confessed it already in this gathering, just still, still getting over that. And, and yet there are others at the same time who are going without, Right? And Christmas, the holidays are one of those times where that, that difference between uh, what we have and what we don't have becomes a little more glaringly obvious. And as we think about Christmas this year, I hope that you're looking forward to a lot of fun. I hope that, you know, that somebody uh, helped you with your Christmas lights and you're not still looking forward to being on a roof, risking your life in the rain. You know, I hope that you you're, have plenty of food on the shelf and that maybe you've got some gifts that you're getting. I hope all those things are true for you. But when you take a step back maybe from your blessed reality and you kind of look at the world around you, the world on the whole is a pretty dark place, isn't it? I mean, when we recognize the, the realities of the world around us, our, our church, there's a, a quite a few people in our church family that are going to go through Christmas for the first time without a, a significant loved one in their life this year. That is a hard thing. You know, there's, there's quite a few people in our church that are wrestling with the economics of their job and, and layoffs and some of those kinds of things. There's quite a few people around the world that are not going to have food and presents and celebrations at Christmas, right? And when we think about the reality of the world we live in, and we live in a culture that really wants to put like a nice shiny facade on top of everything. Have you noticed that? We don't like to talk about death, and then we don't know how to deal with it when it comes, we don't like to talk about the ugly parts of the world unless we can blame it on somebody that's far, far away from us, right? But the reality is that our world is a very broken place. And what we celebrate at Christmas should not just be <clears throat> the frosting on top of the cake of our life, that everything is good and we just get to have more good at Christmas. What we celebrate at Christmas is the reality that in a world that is destined for death and brokenness, a world that is threatened by disease and war and crime that increases and never de decreases, that we celebrate that something changed the trajectory of our lives. Something changed the destiny of this world that was all towards death and doom. Right, that was all towards darkness, something came and changed that. And so when we celebrate this year at Christmas, we are not just celebrating all of the good that we have for ourselves. We're celebrating with the overflow of the good that God has given us, that God has destined us for good and not for darkness. And why is that? It's because Jesus came into the world. It's because Jesus came into the world that we can have hope. And Apart from that, the world seems pretty hopeless. Now, I don't know what you think about this for a moment. This isn't a question I think about a lot, but I was thinking about this. What is it that you, that you hope in? 
I mean, hope is a word you'll see all over the place at Christmas. I got some flyers in the mail that said, give hope and celebrate hope. And, and you know, sometimes it's one of those words that it's, it's like a happy word that doesn't mean anything to us. But think about what is it that you hope in? What is it that you're hoping for? Hope is all about believing that something in the future will be better than your situation right now. It's believing that things can get better, that things will get better. So what is that better for you that you envision? I ask that because hope is a pretty key element to the human soul. When human beings lose hope, they might as well be dead because without hope, the human soul dies slowly and so does everything around it. Physically, emotionally, relationally, all of those things begin to die when you don't have hope. So what are you hoping for? For the kids at Christmas, it's pretty easy. I could tell you what my kids are hoping for. They're hoping for certain gifts, and at least one of my children will express their distinct disappointment if I fall short of that specific gift. Which, as a father that really cares about the character development of my children, I might just have to get them something different. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what the price tag is. But all that to say that you guys are like, you're a bad dad. Okay, well, just pray for me. Pray for my children, okay? But for us as adults, what are we hoping for? You know, are you hoping for a raise? Are you hoping for um, something different in your relationships? Are you hoping for a relationship to come back together that's separated? Are you hoping to find a relationship that has thus far in life eluded you? Are you hoping for a certain job or, or some other kind of thing to work out? Are you hoping to get out of the job that you're in? What, what are you hoping for? And most importantly is that first question, what are you hoping in? If you're like me, I have a really bad track record of hoping in myself. Anybody else, you're like, I can't trust anybody else, but I will trust myself. I can't bet on anybody else, but I will bet on myself. And, and I have a bad track record of that. I tend to think, okay, it's, it's Caleb against the world, and we're gonna, Caleb's going to win. Caleb's going to win. And that works out fine until Caleb doesn't win. And all of a sudden, my hope in myself, my hope in my abilities, my hope in my intellect, my hope in my skills or talents or whatever that I'm hoping in, when those things begin to fail me, life gets pretty scary. Have you ever been in a job where you slowly began to realize, I don't have what it takes to do this job? It's kind of a scary feeling. Have you ever been in a relationship where you start to wonder, I'm not sure I have what it takes to do this relationship? It's called the first year of marriage right? Have you ever been in a situation where you start to realize, I don't know if I am enough for this? And while that is a very frightening place, and, and if you hang on to that hope in yourself, it can lead to some deep disappointment. It's actually healthy for us to come up against some of those things, because none of us want to put our hope in something that's going to fail us. I remember, uh, actually, this time of year, 14 years ago, um, my daughter Estella had just been born, and at that time, Jeanette and I were, were coming up on the end of our second year of marriage, and our first couple of years of marriage were really difficult. I'll just say that. Really challenging. I mean, praise the Lord Jesus got us through, because neither of us were great contributing factors to that. And, and about that time, our, our first child came unexpectedly into our lives, and, um, and with that came a significant baby bill. 
And we were at a time in our lives where we did not have a ton of finances, and we were kind of making ends meet month to month. I mean, it was pretty tight. We were able to pay our bills, and then depending on what was left, what depended on what food was on the table. A few of us have had those seasons, right? And so we had our daughter the day before Halloween, and so right about Thanksgiving weekend, I get a bill in the mail from the hospital. And this bill was overwhelming to me. And I, I literally was thinking, how am I going to do this? Like, how am I going to pay this bill? Like, I don't have, there's nothing extra. We've already agreed no Christmas presents this year. We've already, already agreed no Christmas dinner this year. Like, we're just trying to make ends meet. And now I have this bill. And, you know, as, as a young dad, you're like, are they going to come? Like, does this work like a car? Like, if I don't pay the bill, do they come take the baby away? And sometimes in the middle of the night, I was like, maybe they'll take the baby away. That's when you call your spouse and say, tag, you're it, right? But I remember thinking through, what, can I get a second job? And I, can I, what, what, how am I going to do this? How are we going to make this work? And I tried some different things. I wasn't able to make something, something work out. And I remember meeting with my pastor and saying, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't have enough to make this work. And you know what? Pastors are just the worst about this. You know, they're the worst about this. And, and I, in that moment, got pastored. And my pastor said to me, he said, Caleb, let's just pray about this. And I'm like, pray about this? I got a bill right here. What do you mean pray about this? Pastors and they pray more and read the Bible more. Right? But it tends to work. And my pastor said, we just need to pray about this. We need to pray about this. And I didn't have any other options at that moment. So we started praying. And that next week, he was praying with me and I was praying. Jeanette was praying. That next week, a check came in the mail. And it wasn't enough to cover the bill. It was, it was a portion of it, though. And it came from an unexpected family member that I was like, I didn't even know this family member. And I called my mom, who was the next nearest relative, and said, hey, I got this check in the mail. And she said, oh, yeah, she wasn't able to make it to your wedding a couple years ago. And she just remembered and wanted to do something for you. I was like, well, that's weird. <laughs> so we kept praying. And a week later, Jeanette's grandma said, hey, We've been paying this bill for a couple of years that we didn't realize we weren't supposed to be paying, and we just got this big, this big uh, refund check, and we don't need it right now. Why don't you take it, and, and we know you have some bills with the baby. And I was like, that's weird. <laughs> and I kid you not, over the, over the next three weeks, there were four or five of these different significant checks that came from really random places, and they added up to the exact amount of that baby bill. And I remember thinking, it was one of the first times in my adult life that I realized that there are things that I'm not capable of. But if I will just trust Jesus, he can take care of my needs. Never in the time that I want him to. I'm like, couldn't you have given me the checks before the bill? Like, it saved me all the stress. By the way, I got shingles in that time. I was just like so stressed out. I got shingles between Thanksgiving and Christmas, which having had COVID, I would take COVID over shingles. I'll just say that. It was not my favorite time in life. And, and so all that to say, it's not without stress. It's not without challenges. It's not without difficulty. And where I hoped in myself, I failed. And where I hoped in Jesus, he provided. He provided. 
And you know, we're gonna go through all sorts of times like that in life where if all we have is to hope on ourselves, is to bet on ourselves, we are going to be disappointed. But if we will put our hope in something greater than ourselves that we can't always understand, that we can't always track down, that we can't always put a finger on the hows or the whys, if we will put our hope in Jesus, it will not disappoint us. But it's not always pretty. The Bible sums up Jesus in this way. In the, in the Gospel of John, it sums up who Jesus is in an interesting way. It calls Jesus the Word, the Word of God. And we also call the Bible of the Word of God. Any revelation from God is the Word of God. But Jesus is the ultimate Word of God, the ultimate expression of who God is in a, in a receivable, <clears throat> excuse me, understandable way. And in John, it says in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 and 9, the word, Jesus, gave life to everything that was created. Just think about that phrase for a second. There's nothing alive in this world that Jesus didn't give life to. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And that's Jesus. Jesus is the one who gave us life. Jesus is the one, when he came into the world, he brought a light into a very dark world. And we'll talk more about that darkness later. He brought a light that cannot be extinguished, and he has offered that light to everyone. That light is available to everyone, and it cannot be extinguished. But just like my story with Estella and that baby Bill, and like so many of our lives that are in a dark world Waiting for the light of Jesus, it's not always a happy story up front, is it? And we see that in the Christmas story. If you want to turn to Matthew 1 or if you have your Bible apps open, um, you can go to Matthew 1. And in Matthew 1, we see a part, a perspective, Matthew's perspective on the Jesus birth story. And it's a little bit more about Joseph's perspective than it is about Mary's. Like we see a lot of Mary's in the Gospel of Luke. But it says in, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. And if you want to circle that word Messiah, that would be a good one to notice there. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus now, we read the story, and, and I always have to remind myself to think a little bit beneath the surface of the Christmas story. 
Because even if you didn't grow up in church, you heard versions of this story. You heard parts of the story, and it's easy to be like, oh, yeah, this is the Christmas story. And there's this cute little baby in a warm little cozy manger and cute little animals. And I just guarantee you it was not like that. Right? If you've been around an animal, not like that. Right? If you've had a baby before, you don't want to do it in a barn. Right? All these things that, that we know about the Christmas story, but we forget because of the little picture books we read as kids. So, you know, we need somebody who's going to illustrate a very accurate children's book and show animal poop in the pictures and give, like, Mary's thoughts in her head, like, why does it smell so bad in here? You know, we need that version so kids get a real literal picture of the birth of the Savior. But that's not my calling. Maybe, Pastor Susie, that's your calling. But all that to say, you know, this is a difficult situation. In a, in a, and, and part of it is set by understanding that in a Jewish culture, having sex outside of marriage was an extremely punishable offense. There were all sorts of, of major societal consequences to this. And at the beginning of the story, what does it tell us? It says, Mary's engaged to Joseph. Mary's a virgin. Mary's not yet married to Joseph, but Mary's pregnant. And if you read the Luke account, an angel shows up to tell Mary that she's going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit, but the angel doesn't tell anybody else. Mary's left in this really difficult situation, a situation where she cannot avoid being ostracized by family and friends. It was one of those situations in a culture where nobody wants to be around you anymore. You brought shame to the whole family, the community, they want nothing to do with you. But on top of that, Mary was about to be married to Joseph. And now Joseph has a difficult decision, though he and Mary have known each other through the Jewish courtship process for a long amount of time. They've been planning this for a long amount of time. Their families are very invested in this. Mary has brought shame to Joseph because instead of waiting for her husband, she apparently has found love somewhere else from his perspective. Now Joseph's a good guy. He's an honorable guy. He's not looking to you know, just get back at her or get revenge. So he wants to break off the engagement quietly. He wants to honor Mary. He knows she's gonna go through enough challenges as it is. And so he decides to honor her by just saying, hey, we're just gonna, I, I don't wanna know the story. I don't wanna know the situation. We're just gonna break this off and call it good. Imagine the pain and the difficulty that both Mary and Joseph are facing. Mary's the girl in a culture that does not allow sex outside of marriage that is pregnant and has no community. And the one guy that had promised to take care of her the rest of her life is now saying, sorry, we can't do this. And Joseph is the guy whose wife-to-be apparently went and slept with another man while they were engaged. Doesn't make him feel very good either, does it? And their whole community is watching and saying, oh man, Mary and Joseph... And so Joseph's doing the best he can with this situation when an angel shows up in a dream to him as well. Now, why did the angel not show up to Joseph when it showed up to Mary? Like, couldn't, it have given, couldn't God have given Joseph a warning ahead of time rather than Joseph hearing from a friend? Like, hey, dude, did you hear about Mary? She's pregnant. Like, why couldn't he hear from Jesus about her? Well, we know why he couldn't hear from Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. Why couldn't the angel show up on time for Joseph, right? And yet after a little bit of trauma, the angel shows up and says, Joseph, Joseph, don't act so quickly. 
This baby is not from another man. This baby's from God. The Holy Spirit put this baby in Mary's stomach. Then this baby is not just any old baby. This baby is going to be named Jesus. And he would have known what the name Jesus meant because Jesus was one of those names. It was actually a very common name in Israel at that time because it meant that Yahweh saves. And it was meant to be a symbolic name in hope that someday the God of Israel would come and save the people of Israel from the consequences of their sins that had been directly related to their bondage under the Roman Empire and other empires. They believed that God was going to save them someday, and this name Jesus was indicative of that. You'll notice that the first phrase that Matthew uses is this is the story of Jesus, the Messiah. The Messiah was the manifest person, the Son of God, the King of the line of David, the one that God was going to use to save his people from both their sins and the consequences of their sins. And this angel shows up to, to Joseph in this traumatic moment and says, this is him. This is the Messiah. This is Jesus. And in case we're not all sure, Matthew says this is the one, or the, the, the angel says this is the one that the prophet was talking about 600 years ago. The prophet Isaiah said that God is going to send a savior through a virgin who's going to be pro become pregnant. It's going to be a boy, and it's going to be God with you. Now, this dream must have been pretty convincing because what does Joseph do? Joseph wakes up, still the same circumstances, still in a community that is rejecting his wife as unfaithful, his, his betrothed as unfaithful. He's still in a community that's wondering what was wrong with Joseph that Mary ran to another man. He's still in a community that's gonna look at them the same way that did not have the dream, that did not see the angel. And what does Joseph do? He immediately obeys the angel and says, Mary, uh, let's get married. And they go get married, and yet, what does he do? He doesn't worry about the, the rewards of marriage. He doesn't worry about the husband's rights of marriage. He postpones sexual intercourse with his wife because he doesn't want to do anything that would put in question this divine birth that this angel told him about, right? And so we see here that this dream changes everything, and suddenly, this man who is going to run away from the indignity of a wife pregnant before, before marriage, this man that was going to run away from the rejection of his community, he was just going to side with everyone else, this man who was going to run away for an easier marriage, he embraces it. Why? Because he suddenly has hope that something good could come out of this. He has hope that in this really difficult Bad situation, something good is going to come out of this. And here's the interesting thing. When we have hope in what God is going to do long term, it brings hope into the short term. Look what it did for Mary. Suddenly Mary, who's on the verge of complete abandonment by everyone around her, suddenly she has a provider. Not just in the form of God, but in the form of a husband who is gonna take responsibility for her and this baby. For Joseph, his community may reject him, but the marriage that he's been working towards probably for years at this point is gonna remain intact. And for Joseph, he has this promise that this baby will not just be any baby, it will be God with him. So long-term hope from Jesus, the hope of Jesus being a savior of our sins also begins to plant short-term hope in our lives. And that's one of the beautiful things about Jesus that he offers to us, just like he offered to Mary and Joseph. Jesus offers both immediate and long-term hope to our lives. But here's the key factor in the story. 
Mary did the same thing in the Gospel of Luke, and in this story, Joseph believed. Joseph believed in the promise of God here. Joseph could have just woke up and said, man, I just ate too much Thanksgiving food and had a weird dream last night. Like, who has a baby that's God? Like, if God was gonna come, why would he come as a baby? If God was gonna come, why would he come through a woman who's outside of a marriage? If God was gonna come, why would he come in this way that his people can't even accept right now? If God was, this isn't the way God would work. Have you ever done that game? Like, this isn't the way God should do it, which is true if you're God, but you're not, right? right? Joseph decided, you know what? I'm gonna believe. I'm gonna believe that this is what, how Mary got pregnant. I'm gonna believe that the result of this is gonna be God is with me. I'm going to believe and I'm going to respond with obedience. And it brought both short-term and long-term pain and blessing into his life. And in a broken world, the hope of Jesus will have some pain associated with it. It's not a pain-free situation, but it will have great blessing associated with it. It will restore hope where otherwise hope would be lost. Now, the short-term stuff we can understand a little bit better, right? Like, we know what it is to pray and God answers our prayer. We know what it is to have some something show up coincidentally that is from God and restore hope. But I think sometimes in our culture, we have a really hard time with the long-term hope. We have a really hard time when, when, with that idea of Jesus is going to save his people from their sins. If, if you hadn't heard anything about Jesus, and maybe you haven't today, and I said, don't worry, don't worry about your finances. Don't worry about your relational brokenness. Don't worry about all the bad things in the world because Jesus is gonna save you from your sins. In our culture, the natural reaction to that is, is that it? That's all Jesus, like he's just gonna save me from the thing, things I feel bad about? Like I don't even know if I feel that bad about him. We, we live in a culture that's like, if you can't show me the money now, if there's no immediate reaction right now, like, I'm not even sure if I want it. But Israel is the picture to all of humanity of both the short-term and long-term consequences of sin. Israel is a nation where God made it very clear what his expectations of humanity were, and at every level, they broke all of those rules. At every level, they rejected those. Why? Sin, by nature of sin, is, what we, is when we do what we want to do, even though it goes against what God has created us to do. When we do what feels good to us in the moment, as opposed to what God said, this is gonna bring long-term blessing in your life, that's sin. And sin generally is sparked by pride and selfishness, us wanting more for ourselves and caring less about someone else. And there are consequences for sin. In fact, we talked about what a dark world our world is in. When we take a step back from some of the good things in our lives, the world itself is a pretty dark place. And why is that? It's because from the first time human beings began to sin in the world, it released both death and destruction and disease and all of the, the horrible things in this life are results in some way, shape, or form of sin. There are practical consequences and there are spiritual consequences of sin. So there is nothing bad in your life that is not the result of your sin or somebody else's. Just like there's nothing good in your life that is not the result of God's grace in your life. 
It's really the way that it works, that between your sin and the devil's schemes, everything bad in this world has come into this world. And between God's grace and his life-giving goodness, everything that is good in this world has come into this world. And Jesus comes to save us from all of the darkness, all of the consequences of our own sins and the sins that have been done against us, the sins that have done, been done before us, all of that Jesus comes to save us from, to save us to all of the good things that the life-giving God had in mind for us all along. And when Jesus promises us eternity, he promises us all of the good things that were meant to happen in this world and so much more had sin not entered it. We, all of the longings in our heart that say, man, life should be this way. Life should have worked out this way. Life should have happened this way. Jesus says, I know, but because of sin, because of human beings using their free will the wrong way, you're gonna have to wait till eternity. But if you will trust me, if you will put your hope in me, I can guarantee you that it will be waiting for you in eternity. And in the short term, when we trust Jesus, it begins to manifest the blessings of a God who is with us even in a broken world. Joseph and Mary continued to live life in a very broken world. They suffered and struggled with a broken world, but every step of the way, God was with them literally in the physical form of Jesus. But how did Jesus get there? Did you notice it was mentioned twice in the passage by the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit manifested Jesus in the womb of Mary. The Holy Spirit was the one who brought Jesus. And so when Jesus left this earth physically, he went back to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit who continues to manifest God's presence in our lives every day if we will put our hope in Jesus. There is a hope for both now and for forever. Why? Because Jesus came into the world. Because Jesus did not stand back from our darkness and say, well, you screwed it up. I'll start over somewhere else. Jesus saw that there was a darkness, that there was no light that could penetrate it. That every human life was controlled by darkness, by sin, both their own and the sins of others. And Jesus stepped in as the light that could not be extinguished. Jesus came to be God with us. He never sinned. That's why his light cannot be extinguished. Jesus lived as a light both of what human life could be and should be, but Jesus also lived a human life as one who could relate to every one of our struggles, every one of our pain. You've lost loved ones, Jesus lost loved ones. Many think that the reason that Joseph is not in the Gospels after Jesus' childhood is because at some point during Jesus' childhood, Joseph died. That's the, that's the dominant theory of what happened to Joseph, that Jesus grew up without a father. Right? Mary watched both probably her husband die and then watched her son die on a cross. Jesus was well aware of death all around him, leprosy running rampant in that region of the world. Jesus was well aware of oppression. He watched Roman soldiers brutalize and murder Jews all the time just because they could. And they were hung on crosses along all of the highways, just like Jesus would later be hung on a cross. Jesus was well aware of all of the, the ugliness of this world, and yet he maintained hope in the Father, and he gave hope to all who knew him. Jesus came to give us hope, and that's why it matters what you're hoping for. That's why it matters what you're hoping in. And sometimes in a culture like ours that has managed to sustain hope based on ourselves, we have to be careful, and Christmas is a good time for us to take a step back and say, my hope is not in my own intellect. 
My hope is not in my own financial security. My hope is not in the possessions that I have. My hope's not even in the loved ones around me. Because as many in our church have experienced, they, they can be lost sooner than we think. But my hope is in Jesus who can be with me right now in this broken world. And my hope is in Jesus who has an eternal life waiting for me that is everything this life was meant to be and more. Jesus came to give that to us. And not only did he live as a light to the world, but he gave his life on a cross to receive the consequences of those sins that made this world dark, to take the punishment of our sin on, on, on himself. And if we will, he will exchange our punishment for his reward. He will exchange the death we deserve for sin with the eternal life that he has earned. That is the good news of Jesus that gives us hope even in our darkest seasons. That is the good news of Jesus that you need. It's the good news of Jesus that your coworkers need. It's the good news of Jesus that your family needs. It's the good news of Jesus, the only news that can bring hope both now and for eternity. It is the only one. And Jesus has called you to receive it and share it in this Christmas season. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. That is the light of Jesus at Christmas time. And when we invite Jesus into our hopeless situations, his light leads us back to life. I don't know what hopeless situations you might be facing. Maybe you're more aware of the hopelessness of a globe and, and maybe you're looking at economy and government and thinking, what can ever get us out of this mess? Would you surrender that to Jesus who does have the ability to reach down and change the direction of nations? Maybe your hopelessness is much more personal. Some of the things we've talked about today. Would you invite Jesus into your hopeless situation? You say, Jesus, I need you to come in. Can I just say to you, just gently and pastorally, that there is no wound that you have received that Jesus can't heal? And to hold that back from Jesus for too long is actually an act of reject, rejecting Jesus. You're meant to invite Jesus into that place of pain. And he will bring healing and hope. You know, maybe you're wrestling with some human relationships that are not the way that they are meant to be. Would you invite Jesus into your hopelessness and allow him to be husband, father, friend, companion, where you need him to be? And for some this morning, maybe you've never known the grace of Jesus. I was reminded this morning of the last couple of years, I actually was very thankful for this over Thanksgiving break. I don't know if you made note of this, but the last couple of Thanksgivings have not been like this one. Now I know there's like RSV and all the other ABCs of, of sickness going around. I know that, but man, the last two Thanksgivings have been haunted by all of the COVID stuff, right? The last couple Christmases have been haunted by all of the COVID stuff. And in some ways, worse than any, anything about the sickness was the disunity and discord that it brought in families and churches and our nation. And I just remember coming into church feeling so burdened by the, the disunity that threatened our culture. 
that threatened my family, that threatened, in many ways, threatened our church. I remember coming into worship on a Sunday morning, just so burdened. And as the church worshiped Jesus around me, as I began to articulate words that I believed in my head, but as I began to worship Jesus with those words, the presence of God replaced the burden on my shoulders. The manifest presence of God restored hope that Jesus is still king, that Jesus is leading things somewhere, that Jesus can bring healing to nations and churches and families. Jesus can can bring everything that I need, I can find in Jesus. And can I tell you, what you need more than anything else is the presence of God. And you receive the presence of God by saying, Jesus, I don't want to run my life anymore. I want you to run my life. I don't want to bear the consequences of my life anymore. I want you to bear the consequences. I don't want to see what rewards I can reap for myself anymore. I want your rewards. I surrender my life to you. And in that moment, the presence of God touches your life and hope is birthed. Hope is birthed. So how do you need Jesus to manifest hope in your life? Is it immediate? Is it long-term? Is it a pain that you're dealing with now or is it the burden of eternity that you haven't yet reconciled? Whatever the case might be, Christmas time is a great time to come to Jesus. Today is a great time to come to Jesus. So would you bow your heads with me this morning? Before we pray, I just wanna give you a moment to respond to Jesus. And maybe you, you know Jesus and you're confident in your eternity with Jesus, but maybe the situations that you're walking through right now are pretty threatening, pretty difficult. That pressure is real. Jesus is not asking you to deny the pressure and the pain of this moment, but he's inviting you to put your trust in him. If you're sitting here this morning and you're just saying, man, I need to, I need to put my hope in Jesus in this situation. I need to stop trying to control it. I need to stop trying to protect myself from it. I need to stop agonizing over it. I want to put my trust in Jesus. I want to find hope in Jesus. Would you just slip your hand up this morning? I want to pray for you. Thank you. Hands all over the room. Thank you for that symbol of trusting Jesus. You can put those hands down. Pray for you in just a moment. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've never known the hope of God being with you and of God guaranteeing you a better future than you have today. And you want to surrender your life to Jesus. You want to say, Jesus, I haven't done with my life what it was meant to be, but you can. You want to give your life to Jesus today so that he can be that savior for you personally, that he came to be for the whole world. Would you just Raise your hand up. I'd like to lead you in a prayer. Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you. Thank you. Acts of faith, just like Joseph's act of obedience, God loves those acts of faith and obedience. He sees you. He sees what's happening in your heart, and he does not discount it. And just like Joseph, you need to walk in obedience to him from this point forward by his grace but he accepts you just based on your surrender to him. 
So Father, we come to you this morning, the giver of hope, the one who sent your son to be a light in our darkness. And first, Father, I pray for those that raise their hand because they're facing some hopeless situations and they need you to manifest your presence. They need you to be God with them in this situation. They need you to show up and and surround them with hope. They need you to bring solutions that they can't bring on their own. They need you to sustain their spirit through suffering and difficulty. And Father, I just pray that you would surround them by your presence right now in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you would send your spirit into their lives to begin working solutions, just like you sent the Holy Spirit to manifest Jesus in the world. Lord, I pray that you would begin working on their behalf, but you would start by giving them hope that you can lead even the worst situation to a good outcome. That you can bring joy even out of brokenness. Put faith and hope in our hearts today, Lord. And Father, I pray for those that raise their hands to say, I want to surrender my life to you. Lord, I pray that your spirit of loving conviction would grip their hearts with a desire to walk with you, I pray that they would know your grace over their sin. I pray that your spirit would be strengthened in their lives, that you would change their heart to no longer desire sin, but to desire holiness. That you'd change their minds to no longer see through the old eyes, but they would see their life through the lens of your good news and your truth. Lord, I pray that you would begin to work in them the results of salvation that are both now and for eternity. Lord, help them to walk in obedience in the days to come and help this church family to walk beside them. So Father, we put our hope in you today. Put our hope in you today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.